a quiet evening. I arrived back to find Tony and Ian Teach, the assistant estate manager changing the lock on the front door. Or to be more precise Tony changing the lock while Ian sat on the top step with a mug of coffee directing the work. Nearly finished, Tony said as I walked up to the door, Ian found a second lock in the estate office, so I'll also change the shed lock before I leave tonight. Hard day, Ian? I asked sarcastically. Very. Have you ever chased several dozen uncooperative sheep all over the Dorset landscape? When you have you can be critical but until then leave me to suffer in peace. Any idea who the culprit was? None at all but it was too large a piece of vandalism and too spiteful to be drunken kids. Ian took another sip of his coffee. Too much has happened today in my opinion, and I intend to drive around a bit tonight just in case there's more goings on. You think the vandalism was linked to the burglary here? Tony asked. Yes, I replied beating Ian to it. My father used to quote Al Capone's maxim and I think it applies here. Al Capone? He said something like, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence but the third time's its enemy action. I looked at the two of them. I have a terrible feeling that we haven't seen the end of our troubles. Latter I was to realize just how prophetic my words were. It is good that we cannot truly see the future because sometimes it would be hard to face. Not necessarily for yourself but for those you care about. I entered the gallery and saw that Elizabeth had nearly finished shutting up for the night. As she cashed out the till, I busied myself cleaning the coffee mugs and doing the other small chores needed to keep the gallery a welcoming place for our visitors. Ian popped in and handed over the new key. John, I think we're about done, Elizabeth called over to me. If it's okay I'll take today's sales records and notes home and enter them onto my laptop. If I bring it in tomorrow, we can use it until we get a new computer. Good idea, what about the money? With this morning's disruptions we didn't take much so I've asked Mark to place it in our float in the estate office safe. She brushed a strand of her auburn hair away from her cheek, I've added a note to the cooperative's monthly meeting agenda to discuss the purchase of a safe for us. I groaned loudly and she laughed, the sound filling the gallery. I seem to remember you volunteering to be the chairman last year, something about needing a proper manager rather than a group of otherworldly artists who knit their own breakfasts. Okay, I capitulated. I asked for it so I might as well take it in good grace, but if we have another hour's discussion on banning cow's milk from our coffee in favor of soya, I'll force feed then bacon sandwiches. Elizabeth laughed again and I stood next to her enjoying the moment of good humor and companionship. It was probably my brush with violent death but I acutely aware of her as a desirable woman. The moment of humor passed, and I became aware that she was looking at me with a quizzical but knowing smile. I forgot to ask you with all today's excitement. How was Mrs. Dayton yesterday afternoon? I quickly grasped at another topic of conversation. Elizabeth had taken the previous afternoon off to take an elderly friend to the hospital. She's starting to fail, not that she will admit it, Elizabeth said with evident sadness. Aunt Sophie is a strong woman, but I don't think that she will beat her cancer. Mrs. Dayton surprised you twice before. Didn't you tell me that the doctor gave her a maximum of six months when you were engaged to that rat Reynolds? I paused as she nodded. And that must be five years ago. Six now and I know she beat a second flare-up as well. Tears glistened at the corners of her eyes, this time it's different, she no longer has the fight in her. What's different now? I think it is her nephew, a note of censure entered her voice. He lives only a few minutes' drive from his aunt, but he just cannot be bothered to visit her. He will not drive her to the hospital but suggests that she take a taxi. So, I have to make the time for her. It's not that I mind because I love her as if she really was my aunt. Elizabeth turned away from me and turned the gallery's lights off. 
I saw her surreptitiously wipe her eyes. There is no real tragedy in an old person who's lived a full and happy life dying. When they go, we mourn more for our own loss than for the person who's gone. If we love them greatly the mourning process often starts before they die as the inevitability of our loss overcomes us. The greater our love the deeper our loss. I was in a somber mood as I collected the dogs, and we left the gallery. Elizabeth held the door open until Frodo deigned to join us. I walked over to the estate office and gave the key back to Ian who placed it in the key safe with the rest of the estate keys. Bidding him good night I left the office and hurried to catch up with Elizabeth who was walking home. John, why are you coming this way? She exclaimed. I'm walking you home, at least until the police catch Gregory's killer. That's nice, she smiled warmly, little laughter lines crinkling at the corners of her green eyes. I'm touched but it is out of your way. Not at all. I said turning my back on reality, if I walk you home, I can then walk the dogs back along the beach. Oh, if it's about the dogs then that's alright. We talked about non-important trivialities, exactly what I don't remember, but the conversation was full of genuine laughter, a commodity that had been in short supply all day. When we reached Sea Cottage, she turned to me and hugged me. I enjoyed the feeling of Elizabeth in my arms and this time it felt so much more reasonable that we should spend several moments like that, a natural expression of our deep friendship. It took a lot of self-control not to kiss her, but I was worried that such a development would ruin our friendship. See you tomorrow, I said gently and turned away only to catch sight of Honey's face, for one fanciful moment I felt like a dumb puppy who'd failed in a simple task. My walk home along the beach was very peaceful and I found myself putting the day into perspective. Honey nudged at me until I took her tennis ball out of my jacket pocket and threw it into the sea. With totally delight showing in every move she hurled herself through the small wavelets in pursuit of her treasure. Henry, however, eyed the washing waves with a deep and worried suspicion before charging forward and biting one. He then spat out the salt water and barked his defiance at the unheeding sea. Although I threw the ball for Henry, he refused to be distracted from the serious task of keeping me safe from the waves so I played with Honey until I had got myself into a much happier mood. I rationalized that my over-awareness of Elizabeth was due to more to the strong emotions of the day rather than any real mutual attraction. In truth what could I possibly offer now I was in my fifties and, I had to admit, rather overweight. To my chagrin I remembered that most women who I met on my walks were more interested in honey than myself. After supper I promised myself a walk to the fisherman's arms and a pint of real ale before bed. It was about six o'clock when I opened the front door of 21 Cliff Road, my more prosaically named house. It is a relatively large dwelling for a single man but looks smaller than it should because most of the rooms are lined with dark bookcases that contain my personal library. A lot of the shelves are doubled up, mainly paperbacks, and it can take ages to find anything. I walked through to the kitchen where my Bengal Queen Tara was standing by the sink waiting for me. I stroked her behind the ears and was rewarded with a quick purr. The cat flap suddenly banged as my ginger Tom, Kathkin, shot into the house, he took one look at Henry then arched his back and with fluffed up tail produced a hiss so full of menace that the little staffy backed away with his tail between his legs. A sharp bark from Honey seemed to diffuse the situation. Kathkin, with a certain amount of bad grace, swaggered over to his food dish. Finding an old bowl for Henry the first fed all of the animals and I was pleased to see that Honey let Henry eat without pushing in. While everything was peaceful, I made my way upstairs for a quick shower and a change of clothes. Honey waited until she could hear the shower running before turning her attention to her fellows. Kathkin, you need to cut out your aggression. Henry's master was killed today, and our man has nicely decided to look after him. Not permanently surely, Kathkin meowed in protest. 
there's hardly enough room on the bed as it is with you sprawled on it. I do not sprawl, Honey was indignant. You lie on your back, all four legs in the air, and writhe from side to side during your dreams, Kathkin replied. I think sprawling is too polite for it. Kittens! Tara growled to dispel any argument, our person has done something good. If anything happened to him, wouldn't we want someone to take us in? I suggest we make the most of it and make Henry welcome. Who elected you, spotty breeches? Kathkin asked cheekily throwing discretion to the wind. These you little worm, Tara flexed her toes and her impressive claws slid smoothly into sight. When you are faster, better armed and brighter than I am, then you can make the decisions. Please cats, honey pleaded. Henry's master was murdered today. He's feeling bad enough already without us making it worse. Murdered? Tara exclaimed angrily lashing her tail, I liked Henry's person he knew how to stroke a cat. Not only that but our person's gallery was burgled, and my nose tells me that it is the same person. Honey let her news sink in. You smelt the human scent and you know who it is? Kathkin interjected. No, the killer had rubbed creosote onto their shoes somehow and that's all I could smell, it totally blanked out their scent. But it was the same creosote at both places. Honey was adamant. Tara jumped from the counter and rubbed herself along Henry's flank. Welcome to our home Henry, she purred. Your home is here now. Seeing the way the wind was blowing Kathkin joined her and rubbed down the dog's other flank. Honey watched happily, for all their pompous airs and graces her cats were actually quite nice creatures. Just so long as you let them think that they were in charge. Thank you, for your kindness, Henry mumbled in his soft, self-effacing voice. I was a bit worried that I wouldn't fit in. Never worry. You'll do just fine here. The rules are simple, we play but we never fight, and no one takes too much of another's food. Honey woofed contentedly. Now Henry, if you feel up to it could you tell us what happened? Tara jumped back onto her counter and continued, it isn't just idle curiosity, I'm worried that our person is at risk if his gallery was raided. Henry looked for a moment if he was going to back away but seeing the encouraging looks on the other animals' faces, he squared himself up and began. I had been put to bed in the kitchen and slept very well until I heard a noise from the hall, and I realized that a key was being turned in the door my master never used. Seconds later there was a noise of something falling to the ground and I could suddenly smell someone else in the flat. It was just before dawn when that grey light allows humans to move with some confidence. Naturally I barked to alert my master and within seconds heard him leave his room. I tried to warn him, but he misunderstood my barking. I heard him say, hold on old boy, I'll let you out in a second. Then there was deep thud, and I heard my master fall to the floor. I threw myself at the door, but I couldn't get through. I heard the sound of something heavy being dragged and from the changes in scent I assumed it was my master being moved into the studio. There were several minutes of noises first from the studio and then from the other rooms. The intruder made several trips through the door and down the steps. By the time he had finished he was breathing heavily. I heard him approach the door and as it opened, I sprang at him only for my collar to be grabbed and a flurry of blows were rained on my head. Before I could recover, he had dragged me onto the fire escape and had tied me very uncomfortably to the railings. I tried to bite him, but he slammed my head into the railings and went back into the flat. He ransacked the kitchen, breaking and spoiling I think for the fun of it. After a while, he went back to the studio for a moment and returning to the kitchen grabbed one of the knives that my master was so proud of. He went back to the studio, and I heard three distinct blows after each of them my master whimpered. The man went, and I could hear my master's weak breathing getting fainter all the time. I tried barking for help, but no one came. When you master arrived ages later it was too late. I failed to save him, 
and I failed to harm his killer. Henry's voice died away into a whimper and Kathkin walked over to him and began to wash his face, as any well-meaning cat would comfort a distressed kitten. I came downstairs newly showered and in clean clothes to find my ginger Tom grooming Henry. I was relieved because I had been worried that the cats would be frightened with another dog in the house. I had been concerned that Henry would have to be rehomed. Looking after his dog allowed me to do something positive for Gregory, a thought that gave me comfort since I had been unable to save him. It had been a long and trying day and I opened the fridge with the intention of dunking some cheese biscuits into a pot of hummus and eating several tomatoes. I then caught sight of some minced beef I had purchased the day before and a tub of leftover mashed potato and it occurred to me that after the day I'd had it would be prudent to eat properly otherwise I was asking for a Meniere's attack. I am a very good cook. I make that boastful admission because you should never let false modesty get between you and your food. I would find the act of cooking relaxing and it would give me a chance to put the day into perspective. I put a heavy wok onto my cooker and turned it on to a low heat and poured some herb-infused oil into the pan. I poured myself glass of a reasonable South African pinotage and added some water to the glass. I enjoy the way this changes the flavors of the wine and spent a few moments enjoying the first few sips. I enjoy the act of cooking, regardless of the meal I'm making, whether it is a cottage pie from leftovers to a fancy dinner party. For me it is cross between a relaxing ritual and a satisfying art form. I was not surprised to find myself singing but as I live alone no one cares that I have no musical talent. I served my supper accompanied by a simple green salad and I admit a second glass of wine. Tara jumped onto the table I found myself telling her all about my day. I know it's quite silly but when you live alone you find yourself talking to your animals. After my meal I felt a lot more relaxed and decided to put the dogs on their leads. We walked along the beach ending, as usual, at the fisherman's arms. It was a beautiful evening. The clouds were a mass of colors that delighted the eye and promised a good tomorrow. The Fisherman's Arms is a rather odd pub that started out as a row of fishermen's cottages that have been knocked through and extended. This makes for a bar that is naturally divided into several different areas with some small nooks in between. It is a comfortable and quite intimate pub. The ceilings have exposed rafters on which are stored a lot of different items that range from an old rowing boat to spare hoses for a washing machine that was scrapped a decade before. Fishing nets drape some of the walls with a good catch of plastic fish and crabs caught in the folds. The rest of the decor is equally eclectic except for the fact that it follows a general nautical theme. The thing I like most about it is that you can take your dogs into the public bar, which is the old part. The extension that is a bar restaurant excludes them but since you can order anything off the menu in either bar this has never been a hardship. Gregory's murder had led to the place being unusually busy for a Thursday night and as soon as I entered, I was bombarded with questions. Accepting a pint of doom bar from Tony I asked for hush and telling them that I would tell my story only once retold the events of my day. I did respect Detective Sergeant Linton's confidence and restricted my comments to the bare facts without any speculation. There was a deep silence when I finished so I tapped my glass on the bar and when they were looking at me, I proposed a toast to Gregory. It was a somber gathering, but we were people who had known and liked him, so it wasn't long before first the landlord and then others started telling funny anecdotes about his life. It was a strange evening, half-wake and half-celebration. I remember my father describing that first night after the death of someone close as a night out of time and I knew what he meant, there is a strangeness about them when the rules don't seem to apply. I know I drank rather more than was wise. During the evening I was approached by Derek Beaton one of the estate's gamekeepers who having heard that the gallery's computer had been destroyed was worried about his autobiography, a book that the cooperative had promised to publish. I remember telling him that it was all right I had all the missing files on my home machine. It was a comment that fell into one of those quiet moments that occur in any busy gathering. 
thinking nothing of my comment but hearing the unusual loudness of my voice, I collected the dogs and went home to bed. Copyright 2014 Robert M. War. All original rights reserved.